0: What's up, you beautiful bastard? Hope you've had a fantastic Wednesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is an update on the Brooke Houts situation. And as you may or may not remember, last month there was almost universal outrage against Brooke Houts, who's a YouTuber. She, of course, famously accidentally uploaded unedited footage that showed her smacking, pushing, and seemingly spitting on her dog. The video went viral, you had people demanding that her YouTube channel be shut down, that the authorities get involved. Brooke released an apology where she also said that she didn't spit on her dog. Also, LAPD officials said that their animal cruelty task force was investigating. And the big update to that situation is, according to new reports, police have decided not to press charges. The police reportedly telling BuzzFeed News, animal task force looked into the matter, obviously they saw the video the public had seen. They determined it didn't rise to the level of animal cruelty. With TMZ also citing an LAPD source who said that there wasn't enough evidence to support Criminal charges. Houts has been allowed to keep custody of the dog throughout this investigation, but LAPD officials said they would reopen her case if new evidence was presented. Now, online, many have expressed their disappointment over this news, with some also saying that while the police might not be able to take action, the public will always remember Houts as an animal abuser. Some saying that the system is a failure, people calling out the LAPD. And then what seemed to be a common thread was kind of the, the mentioning of the criminal justice system and the online social justice system. With one tweet reading, The police department forgave you, but remember, the internet never forgets, though. And every generation that has access to the internet will know who you are, dog abuser. And I guess where I want to end this story update is kind of a question. I mean, one, what are your thoughts in general regarding this topic? But also two, what are your thoughts kind of regarding that last note that while the law says, you know, we can't actually charge anything criminal, this idea that there is a second system, right? The the public in general, the the online uh, continuing knowledge, continually recognizing and reminding people of this exposed moment. And actually kind of connected to this line of thinking, this general headspace, we have another massive update regarding a story that we covered multiple times over the past few years. And that story is around Brock Turner, who some in the media have called an ex-Stanford swimmer, others calling rapist Brock Turner, others saying registered sex offender Brock Turner. And understandably, in the past, he's been the focal point of his story. One, because of the horrific act he inflicted upon another, and two, for what I and many others consider a miscarriage of justice due to his light sentencing. Brock Turner was, of course, convicted of felony sexual assault, but was only sentenced to six months in jail and ended up only actually serving three months. Seemingly because the judge was worried about Brock Turner's And as some of you might remember, Brock Turner's father was arguing for probation rather than jail time because quote, that is a steep price to pay for 20 minutes of action out of his 20 plus years of life. And while we were able to read the words of the story of of this young woman who was sexually assaulted, we, we never knew her name. She was referred to as Emily Doe, Brock Turner's victim. But the big update to this story is that has changed. Chanel Miller, the young woman in this story has now revealed her identity and is speaking out. And among what we've now seen, you had Chanel reading her victim impact statement she was addressing the court, but also specifically Brock Turner. You don't know me, but you've been inside me. In newspapers, my name was unconscious, intoxicated woman, 10 syllables, and nothing more than that. I had to force myself to relearn my real name, my identity, to relearn that this is not all that I am, that I am not just a drunk victim at a frat party found behind a dumpster while you are the all-American swimmer at a top university, innocent until proven guilty, with so much at stake. You cannot give me. You cannot give me back. The life I had. Along with this we also learned that Miller is going to be releasing a memoir called Know My Name. It's set to come out September 24th and I I personally love that she is doing this. I think unfortunately and incorrectly there is this this sense of, even with how detested Brock Turner is, there's this sense of shame of being a victim. you know, Chanel Miller also said something in an essay that, that I think is very true. Victims are not victims, not some fragile, sorrowful aftermath. Victims are survivors, and survivors are going to be doing a hell of a lot more than surviving. And I think her taking control of the situation, putting her name out there, being the face of it. It's an inspiring and impressive showcase of power to reclaim the situation, and and not only for her situation, but as a way to let others know that they are not weak, they are not alone. And that is why, Chanel Miller, you are our Bamf of the day, and also, as always, fuck Brock Turner. And then let's talk about porn. It's this really cool new thing that they just invented. Granted, I doubt that you've ever seen it or even heard about it, but let's talk about it. And there are actually two pieces of news, somewhat connected. And the first part of this involves the porn production company Bang Bros and a site called Porn WikiLeaks, which if you don't know, Porn WikiLeaks is a website that doxes performers in the porn industry and shares their personal information online. This including not only their real names, but their addresses, phone numbers, information about their families. And since it was created in 2010, reportedly Porn WikiLeaks has revealed the personal information of around 15,000 adult film stars. And it allegedly got that information from a leak in a patient database managed by a company called AIM Medical Associates, where many performers go to get STD tested and which has since been shut down. Also, in addition to sharing personal information, the website also included whether or not the performer did crossover, meaning they did both gay and straight porn. But with all of that said, the reason I feel comfortable even talking about this story, mentioning that website, is because in the past week, Bang Bros announced that they had acquired Porn WikiLeaks and they did it for a good reason. In a statement on the Porn WikiLeaks homepage saying, for too long, this site has unfortunately been a resource for hate, lies, and sensitive information. Adding, we have purchased the site with the intention of shutting it down and removing all information associated with it. They, of course, then note, while shutting this site down doesn't purge the internet of all possible ties to real names and whatnot, it does make it one less place to harbor and find these things easily. A forum that had 300,000 posts on it, most of them negative and hate-filled, has now disappeared. And that statement including a link to a video titled All the Porn WikiLeaks Data, which showed someone pouring flammable liquid on a bunch of hard drives and lighting them on fire. And following this, we saw a number of adult film stars respond very positively. Rachel Starr tweeting, this is amazing. Simon Fox thanking them, adding I was affected terribly by this site to the point I was forced to sell my home and move and also changing my phone number several times. This is a serious godsend. And while all of these stars and Even I, I commend them for doing this. It is also important to know the lasting damage that the website has done to so many people. And that actually connects us to the other bit of news in this industry. This announcement from Bang Bros comes actually right after a lawsuit filed against the amateur website Girls Do Porn has started its trial proceedings in San Diego Superior Court. There, in that lawsuit, 22 women claim that they were tricked into performing pornography after responding to ads for models or photos and videos on Craigslist. Many of the women in the lawsuit reportedly still agreed to make the pornographic videos after they were promised that they would never be posted to the internet. But not only were the videos then posted on the Girls Do Porn porn website and distributed on sites like Pornhub. The way that these stories connect is that after the videos were posted, the women's names and private information appeared on porn WikiLeaks. With the women also saying that the videos were sent to their families and college classmates. As a result, some of the women in the lawsuit reportedly lost their jobs or were expelled from college as a result of their names being leaked on porn WikiLeaks. One of the most high profile and talked about from this was the the Miss Teen Delaware winner who was stripped of her crown. And now the women in the lawsuit are asking for $22 million in damages. And also an update that came in just yesterday is that Vice reported that a videographer named in this lawsuit admitted lying to women by promising them that these videos would not be posted online. But ultimately, that is where we are with the story now. It's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. And where I'll end this, and and this seems like a very basic thing, like even yesterday, you know, I joked about how like racism is bad and then I I took an award. People deserve privacy and that includes sex workers. Sex workers are people too. They have a job and perform a service that is in demand, is legal, that unfortunately people will try to shame them for or ruin their lives for for some reason. Which is why you see so many going by stage names because they don't want that information to be out there, so why? But hey, that's a story, a little bit of my takeaway, and of course I pass the question off to you. And then we have some genuinely massive news regarding Google, and YouTube. And this is something that matters and will have an impact on people in general consuming content online as well as certain specific creators. So it was finally announced today that Google will be paying a $170 million fine with today the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, saying Google LLC and its subsidiary YouTube LLC will pay a record $170 million to settle allegations by the FTC and the New York Attorney General that the YouTube video sharing service illegally collected personal information from children without their parents' consent. Going on to specifically say 130 6 million of that will go to the FTC and 34 million to New York. This for allegedly violating COPPA, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And the fine there is massive, but also not. Historically, it is the largest penalty from a COPPA case. Right, like for example, back in February, TikTok got hit with a COPPA violation, but they were fined 5.7 million. Right, so it is a significant number, but it's also kind of a drop of a drop of a drop in the bucket as far as YouTube's concerned with money that they make each quarter. Right. So there's this general fine part of the story and that that is meaningful general news. But the other part is what happens now. There, there were allegations, there was an investigation, now a settlement, right? Other than a fine, how do you make things better? Well, as the FTC explained, they allege that while YouTube claimed to be a general audience site, some of YouTube's individual channels, such as those operated by toy companies, are child-directed and therefore must comply with COPPA. And while the FTC explains in their release what is going to be required from YouTube and Google, YouTube's official blog kind of cuts to the core of the matter. And they explain, we are changing how we treat data for children's content on YouTube. Starting in about four months, we will treat data from anyone watching children's content on YouTube as coming from a child, regardless of the age of the user. This means that we will limit data collection and use on videos made for kids only to what is needed to support the operation of the service. Notably here, this is a big one, we will also stop serving personalized ads on this content entirely, and some features will no longer be available on this type of content, like comments and notifications. Also adding in order to identify content made for kids, creators will be required to tell us when their content falls in this category. And we'll also use machine learning to find videos that clearly target young audiences. For example, those that have an emphasis on kids' characters, themes, toys, or games. Right, when I talked to YouTube regarding this specific part of it, it appeared that even though YouTube has consistently, and even in the post, recommends that kids under the age of 13, that they go and they use YouTube kids instead, there's no way to ever fully know who is actually watching a video when when they're logged out, or maybe they're logged into a parent's account. So that's why this change and the focus on the content itself is being made. I mean, that part is very big news. That's gonna be devastating to a number of channels. Personalized ads are by far the vast majority, so if you have content that is directed for younger viewers, then this is gonna be a bad time for you. When talking with YouTube, it appeared that contextual ads will still be possible, but once again, that, that is very much in the minority of ads being put out there, which it appears is also why YouTube went on to say, we know these changes will have a significant business impact on family and kids creators who have been building both wonderful content and thriving businesses. So we've worked to give impacted creators four months to adjust before changes take effect on YouTube, which I will say to me reads very much like they fought for that in their settlement with the FTC in New York. And they go on to say, we recognize this won't be easy for some creators and are committed to working with them through this transition and providing resources to help them better understand these changes. We're also going to continue investing in the future of quality kids, family, and educational content. We are establishing a $100 million fund dispersed over three years dedicated to the creation of thoughtful original children's content on YouTube and YouTube kids globally. And so with all that said, where we are right now, it is gonna be interesting to see what actually happens four months from now, right? Regarding that fund, how will that money be dispersed? Regarding kid-directed content and the creators making that content, how will they adjust, how will they change? Also, are there going to be people hit that we're not expecting, right? Part of the question here would be, how do you specifically define what is directed towards kids? Right, in YouTube's blog post they wrote, for example, those that have an emphasis on kids' characters, themes, toys, or games, right? And so there are gonna be some that are clearly defined, right? You have your your counting and coloring videos with maybe like Disney characters or the Minion, right? A kids' unboxing channel where you have a kid seemingly talking to other kids, kids directed, you know, kind of what happens as you get closer and closer to the line, right? Like if you have a young kid playing Roblox or, or Minecraft, okay, that seems kids directed, but then let's say, what if it's a a father and son playing together? Is that kids directed content or because you have an adult, maybe it could be said that it's targeting the parents of children, right? Also, to, I mean, to focus on the gaming community somewhat here, it, it does the game itself Matter. For example, recently in Minecraft, there's been this resurgence uh, in large part thanks to people like PewDiePie bringing it back, right? And Minecraft does have a very young audience, although uh, I know more adults than ever that are playing it. So is it is it specifically put in the kids box because it's rated E for everyone, right? And, and I kind of mean this as a joke, but kind of not. If a game is kind of deemed to have maybe a younger audience or maybe geared towards kids, are creators gonna have to kind of adultify that content, right? Like are we gonna have to start seeing creators drop the F-bomb so you could be like, hey, the content's not geared towards kids. I would never use that word around a child. Yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see, and and with all of that said, of course, I'd love to know your thoughts on this. And that's where we're going to end today's show. And hey, if you like this video, be sure to hit that like button. Also, if you want more of these deep dives on the daily, be sure to hit that subscribe button, and definitely ring that bell to turn on notifications. Also, if you're not 100% filled in, and you want to watch or listen to the reuniting of my podcast with Steve Zaragoza, and or maybe just missed yesterday's show, you want to catch up, you can click or tap right there to watch those videos right now. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love your faces and I'll see you tomorrow.